welcome to the Crazy Bird Podcast. I'm your host, Violeta Kaminska, and today we have a wonderful guest with us, Craig Drennan. Hi, Greg. How are you? Hello. I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, inviting me. We are very happy to have you here. Craig Drennan is a painter and a 2018 Guggenheim Fellow. His exhibition, Merchants, Bandits, and Certain Senators, is currently on display at Laney Contemporary in Savannah. His recent group exhibitions include Decameron, a new release gallery in New York City, and Depiction, again, and the Kusterwein Langenhagen in Langenhagen, Germany. His work has been reviewed in Art in America, Art Forum, and the New York Times. Drennan teaches at Georgia State University, served as dean of the Skahigan School of Painting and Sculpture, and manages the end project space. Since 2008, he has organized his studio practice around Shakespeare's Timon of Athens. Craig, I had a great pleasure to meet you in person on the day your show opened at Laney Contemporary Gallery here in Savannah. So that was quite a treat. Not only I could admire your work, but I also got to meet the artist. Right. I think, that, yeah, I think that was it. Mm -hmm. And I heard about your work before. And uh, my friends were talking about your work and about you, and I was really curious, you know, to see it. And finally, so that was really great that I got a chance to see it in Savannah. And I know your talk is coming up, right? You will be talking actually at Laney Contemporary. Um, yeah, we're going to do uh, an artist talk at the gallery on June, Friday, June 11th. Mm -hmm. I, I'll double check the time, but usually they like to do it around happy hour, uh, okay. if you know what I mean. Yeah, I know. There's, they say there's always, you know, happy hour somewhere at some point <laughs> in the world. Well, I'm looking forward to that uh, talk. I will be there. But I wanted to ask you now, your work seems very complex. What was really great about that show where I met you was actually that you were there. Because mm -hmm. then I got a chance, and not so many times you get a chance to talk to the artist, hear about work. Which sometimes some people say it doesn't matter. You just interpret the work the way you want it. But I really thought, to me, I was even more interested in work after you talked about it. I looked at your website the other day. I was looking at the description of your intro. And I thought it was interesting what you talked about um, your own interest and how you explore the letterist and situationist groups and how you interpret that your own way. So anyway, what I wanted to ask you, what I want to start with is in particular about that exhibit that is at Laney and about the work that you are showing there? Well, um, I think that, uh, you know, every exhibition uh, has its own challenges and its own kind of surprises. And what was nice about the Laney show is that uh, they were interested in showing multiple characters within this project I'm doing. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes, uh, you know, that's the first question people have, which is like, why is he doing this? Like, why Tony of Athens? Like, why? What's what's the whole point? Mm -hmm. And I will say, when I first started the project back in two thousand eight, there were some very successful, very successful artists whose names we will recognize, who kind of who, who came to my studio and then quietly but firmly said, "Never tell anybody what what you know your your prompt is. Never tell anybody about the play. Just make the work." allow it to be inexplicable and inscrutable interesting and just never reveal it did they say why uh they thought that was uh that by revealing it it would just it would always the discussion would always be bogged down in mm -hmm. that single issue okay. i i understood their point but i disagreed and i think that um you know i'm, I'm making first of all i pick this 
play because it's you know the worst by the best. It's like the worst example of writing by the best, most well-known uh, creative person in the Western canon, I would say. And so that was very interesting to me, where good and bad are like just welded together and inseparable. And I think that uh, that was interesting. Mm -hmm. It allowed me to, uh, you know, to it just was an interesting, um, how can I say it, like a platform to work up from. And so I've been making uh, separate bodies of work for every character in the play. And I could have just let it be inexplicable. Like I could have done that. But to me, that seemed like kind of strange and unfair because it puts pressure on the audience to figure out like, okay, this, this, these paintings are called poet. These paintings are called merchant. These are called certain senators. Why? Like what is happening? And there'd be so much pressure to find out what is it that connects all of these things. And I, I felt it was like, uh, I felt it was like being overly mannered and being overly like mysterious and like leaking out clues like Jasper Johns or somebody like, you know, like I, I'm going to leak out this little clue and let people chew on it and try to figure it out. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be transparent. And so when somebody says, uh, oh, you made these, these record merchant paintings with records, you made these other bandit paintings with Santa images, you made did all this. All I have to say is, uh, oh yeah, it's uh, it's it's based on a play, and that re that lifts the pressure. It relieves that burden from the viewer, and it doesn't add any additional information, but it, re it removes a burden, or at least I I think it does. So that's why I went ahead and, you know, I just I went ahead and made my uh, you know, uh, the initial conditions for the work. I made it known to people. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm one of those people when I go to a museum or to a gallery. I like to read about the artist whose work is being shown, and I also like to read about work. So I appreciate learning about it. I wouldn't say the work has, then suddenly has more value to me, but I, I think hmm. that gives me permission to kind of get lost in work a little bit, and maybe also because I like reading a lot. Right. I think it helps me understand. And even if I interpret your work, I like to talk to the artist, I like to know more about it. So that's just how I am. And I understand that some, not everybody is this way, right? There are some people who go to the museum and don't care. I mean, they look at work, they care about work, but it doesn't matter to them. You know, I always read about the artist. I always read about work and it's very important to me. So I appreciate that you shared that information or that I can find that information because like your work seems very colorful. I'm at least the latest I've seen. Uh -huh. yeah, right? well so yeah, it, it was it was very bright neon orange uh, for much of 2019 and 2020. Right. So, yeah. Also, I feel that color can be interpreted a certain way. It's really interesting, but when I read what that work represents or where the inspiration came from or what is the story behind it, it's not always what I see at first glance. Do you know what I'm saying? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that, um, I mean, I, I find that interesting. And I think that... Uh, you know, to go back to you, you discussing like going to museums, like when you go to the Louvre, you go to a big museum, you look left, you look right, you see all the, the history paintings, you see the, you know, going back to objects from Mesopotamia and Egypt and so forth. Um, and then it gives you the title. Like mm -hmm. if you look at a painting and it says, uh, you know, the surrender of General Cornwallis, uh, maybe you know what that is, but maybe not. Uh, so it, it, it sounds a little funny for me to say, but that condition of 
seductive ignorance where you really want to look at the work, even though you don't fully, you know, you, you don't know what it's, what it's all about or what the backstory is. I trust that response. Mm -hmm. I think that's a beautiful response. And then just like when you, when you see a person on the street, like you may, you might see someone and say, well, that isn't, what an interesting person. Like you don't know their name. You don't know anything about them. But if they're interesting enough, then maybe you'll, maybe you'll find out. Maybe you'll, you know, go and say, well, who are you? Where do you come from? Why are you wearing, uh, you know, this strange costume or, or whatever? So, so everything you said, actually, uh, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with all of that. Like, I, I mm -hmm. think that that's a, I'm fine with everybody sort of coming to the work right at the surface level, like right there where it is, just like a, you know, like a bird. Right. <laughs> a bird finding a shiny object and flying toward it. Right. When I was reading uh, your description on your website, I was interested in especially that particular part that talks about environment, landscape, cities, and district with fewer restrictions moving outside mm. of cities. Right. I thought right. that was really interesting. So can you talk a little bit about it and how that sure. kind of makes its way to your work? Why does it matter to you? Like, you know, like how do you look at the environment? Well, you know, it's interesting. And, and uh, one of the things that uh, the, some of the situationists would write about, I mean, which is a group, I'm sure your listeners uh, are very smart and they already know all that. Probably they know more about it than I do. But um, they were very interested in what they called the edge land. You know, it's that part in the city where you're, you're walking out of the city and it's, suddenly it doesn't feel city anymore, but it's not quite country either. It's mm -hmm. in this strange in-between state that seem to have its own rules. Like country, the country has its rules and the city has its rules. But here in the edge, you know, you didn't quite know what was going on. It, uh, you know, you didn't have the same sort of pressure to, course, to, uh, uh, you know, to have civic monuments. You didn't have like uh, hospitality uh, of any kind. You didn't have trees planted. It was like, it really wasn't really meant for people. And therefore it was sort of unpoliced, like literally unpoliced. And I find that very interesting. And I think that um, one of the reasons, again, one of the reasons I like this play is because it's right at the edge of the canon. It has to be included just because it's by Shakespeare, but it's terrible. So it's right at the edge. It's almost not in the mm -hmm. canon. And that condition is very interesting to me. And I think that, um, you know, uh, it, 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 to, for me, it creates a, a very creative space where I can uh, I can kind of question the inherited canon in a way, you know, like, uh, you know, why is Shakespeare famous? Like, is, is it is it without question? Like, we have to accept this forever, that every work of Shakespeare is great. Um, and, I, and I think those questions are valid. And I think each generation really needs to, uh, you know, to, to discuss this and argue it and, and kind of recalibrate which I think is happening now throughout, you know, especially throughout the South with the discussion about monuments, like uh, monuments that, that make uh, positive references uh, to the defeated uh, Confederacy. Um, you know, monuments that shouldn't have been uh, put up to begin with uh, and yet have been up sort of quietly in, in plain sight. And then now there's a discussion of like, you know, why are we doing this? Like, just because this is up and in our landscape doesn't mean it has to stay that way. Uh, so this is interesting to me. And, I, and I'm, I've been very interested in this discussion of, of the public monuments throughout the South, because uh, to me, again, this is sort of, this is it. This is like, 
you know, recalibrating the cannon and, and, you know, what in the stock market, they say a correction, you know, there's a market correction where suddenly things that were overvalued get diminished and things that were diminished increase in value. And I think the art world, uh, for better or worse, uh, and the culture world, you know, kind of behaves that way. Mm -hmm. Why did you choose Shakespeare? Um, because he's the best known. And I, and I, and I, you know, if, if somebody was more famous than him, uh, you know, I could have picked Da Vinci maybe, but, but I do like, um, it was just, it was only about here's the most famous one, mm -hmm. uh, the most famous name brand cultural producer, and here's the worst thing they ever made. And to me, I think that, um, you know, I grew up, uh, in a, in a small working class town in central West Virginia and you know that that felt like an edge land too like it's not the north it's not the south it's uh you know in 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 the mid 1980s like i knew families that still didn't have uh indoor plumbing you know and so it was like in america in the modern america but also not in modern america simultaneously it had the good it had the bad it had all these things again welded together and so probably if i'm being completely honest, which the Crazy Bird podcast insists on, <laughs> I would say that, um, you know, it, it probably in the back of my mind, uh, I probably, I felt that there was a capacity for self-portraiture in picking it. Good, good qualities and bad qualities right there. You know, what, uh, you know, the name Shakespeare is, uh, you know, not, not to get, uh, you know, not, not to use elevated language of any kind, but you know, the Shakespeare's what, uh, you know, somebody like Boris Groys might call a strong sigh. Mm -hmm. Timing of Athens, nobody's heard about. It's rarely performed. It's hard to see is a weak sign. And so there's strength and weakness right there, just braided together in a super interesting way. And I, I like that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Now, so I wanted to ask you also about your uh, different media you work with, mm -hmm. because it seems like you use really versatile and there's a whole array of media you're working with and i'm really curious about shapes of your work because you're not uh, always you know using a traditional square or rectangle right canvas right. there are lots of circles and not only the circle is a frame you know but also there are circles within within circles sure. i'm actually looking at your work as we are speaking right now so god bless you crazy bird <laughs> yeah um, crazy all the way <laughs> um you know well I, i can answer this you know because i my skill set i guess and my interest uh and and my knowledge is within painting and when i started uh when i made the decision to make a different body of work for every character in this play that also something clicked in my brain that said you know what i can uh I can also really, it's almost like pulling an accordion apart. Like I, I can expand uh, everything that I think painting can do. And so to me, and that becomes an additional theme that's very important. And so you look throughout the work and it's like, uh, how, does, how does painting relate to installation? Because the painting has like some, some wall painted elements behind a traditional painting. How does painting uh, relate to a, to, to a JPEG? like working from a JPEG? How does painting relate to performance? They're performance pieces, you know, where I have these heads, these sort of absurd heads that look like me kind of. And then when the performances are over, the, the, the paper mache heads 
are painted and they get hung on the wall like a painting, like within within the discourse of painting. And so to, uh, to me, like that's that's very interesting. It's been it's been a great way for me to kind of uh, grow as an artist. You know, it, it mm-hmm. sort of forces me to I can't I can't remain stable. You know, I have to or, you know, comfortable. And so I have to keep moving into a new spot and learn new skills that make me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always uncomfortable. I'm always stressed out. And with each new each new character, I learn, I try to learn how to do something that I didn't know how to do before, you know, so I enter into it, not knowing if I'm going to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And the shapes are part of that. Like, you know, I, I like each, each character being kind of rec- having a recognizable shape if possible and a recognizable material. Um, and the merchants are circular because of uh, coins, really. Like that was the first thought, circular like a coin. But then, you know, I, again, I, I remembered being a little kid and putting coins into a jukebox at a laundromat uh, where, where my mom would take me. And then it, as a little kid, I thought it was interesting that a circular coin activated a circular record. It's like one type of circle made another type of circle respond. And I mean, that's just like one of those little kid observations where it's like, oh, look at this. And so, but I thought well, that's, that's reason enough to sort of have, have the merchant pieces, you know, be this, uh, you know, this, this little bouquet of circles, if you will. Mm-hmm. See, this is fascinating to me. That's why, that exactly what I said early on, that I really like learning about somebody's art or the thought behind why you made those choices. And I know sometimes as an artist myself, I don't like to tell everything because I do feel maybe this little bit of mystery or maybe it doesn't matter. Sometimes it's too much. And I'm known for, as you probably noticed, for talking. So sometimes I kind of pace myself, say maybe, you know, I don't need to talk so much about my work or write about it. But I really appreciate because it matters to me how I see it. And I'm actually more interested in, I don't know if it's the word investigate is the right word, but studying it. You know, like I have a need to explore it and study. And if I have some substance that I can hold on to and some material, then, you know, then I can really study something. I can spend some time on something if it's interesting, of course, but I... I like to learn. I appreciate work when I can really spend more time with it. Right. Well, um, I appreciate that, and I think I'm I'm probably the same way. Like I'm not always uh, as talkative, maybe, but uh, but I'm I'm very receptive. Like I feel mm-hmm. like I I'm always like uh, very willing to receive information of, of all types. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I but this is but I think this is important and. You know, as I get through this list of characters, I don't—I don't know even what the next character will be. I just keep working until you know I, f- I feel like the idea is sort of running out of its initial momentum or, or running out of steam a little, and then hopefully a new character will sort of just say like, "I'm next." Mm-hmm. That was so, my question, actually. Like I was going to ask you, since you've been doing uh, working on that series since 2008, right? Yeah, 2008. That's. 13 years now so I was just going to ask you like do you know how much longer and if you like if you continue or you know as you work do you also sometimes work simultaneously during the same time you know on a different series or different kind of completely different work using different even media the answer to that ma'am 
isn't it? I, I could not imagine because I think it takes so much headspace also. Isn't that like acting a little bit that you get into that character when you work on that piece? Well, it's interesting you say that because I'm uh, I'm certainly not an actor, but I, I've known some over the years. I've known some very good ones and, uh, you know, spoken to a lot of actors. Uh, but I think it is really important. And I think that uh, one of the reasons I like to... Uh, you know, to, to, to gather all types of like, uh, formalist techniques within, within the arc of the whole project. And even sometimes even within one work, there'll be something that looks like a, a decorative type of painting, a, an illusionistic type of painting, something fully abstract, something cold and kind of detached and minimal looking and non-emotional. But to me, uh, it's, it's funny you say that because, uh, I thought of it like acting. I really did. Cause mm -hmm. I thought, you know, uh, I should be able to make paint do any number of things, like, like a great variety of things. And to me, that was like an actor walking out on stage for a one person show and doing like two or three different characters, two or three different accents and backstories and having all of them be 100% convincing. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was that that was like the great promise of painting like that's what painting could do that's 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 a problem it could solve because when i went to uh, to art school and maybe maybe we're about the same age you know but maybe it was the same with you we were told that uh, not not that painting was dead but that that it was empty like that it had all been done uh, it was just a, a your only uh um I guess your only avenue to be a painter was was pastiche like just combining lots of different things together because that under late capitalism, you know, that's how, that's how images and objects operated, just like Walmart. Anything can be next to anything at Walmart. It doesn't have to make sense because capitalism is just about the glut. And, and there, but the, but the, but that's not meaningful. It's not about interpretation, but I, um, you know, I sort of see it the other way. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, those actors that are performing the same role, like eight or nine times a week, and every time it's as if for the first time, every time it's supposed to be meaningful and, and, and a, a great, you know, uh, moment for the audience. Like I, I try to do that in the studio. Like no, none of it's about like, oh, painting is dead. Uh, you know, because I'm doing all these different things, that means that nothing has meaning. Just the opposite. Like when I do all these different techniques, all the different styles, I think they all are full of meaning. I want them all to be meaningful. Mm-hmm. So when I think of those characters, that's what, 16th century, right? Um, yeah, probably, uh, well, probably um, the early 1600s. I mean, the date isn't known. And Shakespeare never, never claimed this to be his own work. But the, so the dates aren't probably anywhere from 1602 to 1606, maybe somewhere in that range. So I'm thinking, you know, characters hundreds of years ago. And then are you ever thinking about it? Like, are you thinking, you know, those characters in today's world, in today's times? And maybe you could think, do you ever pick somebody from our contemporary times, which could be a politician or a prominent figure, or maybe just a person walking in the street when you are somewhere out? And have you ever done that? Think how you could bring them into today's world. And that also generates your work? Or yeah, no, no, that, that's interesting. I think that for each character, I try to bring in contemporary associations that to me, you know, sort of fulfill 
the requirements of the character. But there's no there's no linear path to why, like, uh, again, paintings of a basketball would equal poet. The word hello, like, why would that equal poet? But I, but for me, it makes perfect sense. And it's sort of my biography and everything else. So I don't mind that. And I and what I like about it, I always like those Cy Twombly paintings, like the big ones where it's just a, you know, a, a whole wall of these scribbled, smudged, smeared lines, fully abstract, accumulative, all of that. And then you look at the title and it's like uh, the burial of Agamemnon, you know. <laughs> so there's a there's a distance between what your eye is seeing and what the where the title is pulling you. And I always thought that that was delicious. Like uh, it, it, it seemed absurd. It seemed kind of like a radical little shake you know mm -hmm. of the expected conventions of painting and I always really took I took great delight in that mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. probably that was rattling in my head a little bit too but there again as you said earlier there what you what you see the colors the shape the things you see with your eyes might at first glance seem far away from what you know what the title is saying like mm -hmm. those early Picabias, you know young what young american girl in a state of nudity you know and it's a, it's a drawing a line drawing of a spark plug you know, it's just so good <laughs> so i guess that i'm thinking now of semiotics and all the metaphors too what i was going to ask also about typography sometimes there are words yeah yeah right? sometimes you have letters only or sometimes you have uh, phrases right. i i find that interesting and how do you choose or how do you decide again this is just very individual probably on the depends on the character and the piece right. but why sometimes does it matter to why why do you need to put a word there and sometimes the word really takes over like a lot of space right sure yeah sometimes in the new certain senator pieces i mean it has the word mcgovern written cleanly and clearly uh, on those. But, um, you know, I, I think I give quite a bit of artist talks and uh, depending on the audience, like sometimes uh, after the talk is over and we're, we're ready for the questions, you know, the audience members will pounce on me a little bit because I, I work, I make every decision, like which character is next, what the character is going to look like, how many of them I'm going to make. All of those decisions are intuitive. And I think that uh, within within teaching and maybe within art itself, you know, there was a time, you know, when people talked about int intuition, but it, it really got, I, I feel like, sort of corrupted because it was... It was meant, it, it was always sort of like, like the sort of fake uh, psychology, like sort of paranormal, like it, it seemed like a paranormal activity, like intuition. Like you're, you're connecting to a cosmic force and the way people talked about it, like is not the way I, I like to talk about it. For me, the reason I rely on intuition so much is because even like right now, like right now in, in 2021, intuition is the greatest survival tool for children and marginalized people. You know, that kid that gets off the bus and nobody's there to pick them up. Nobody's there to walk them home. They have to get home by themselves. They have to figure out which, when to cross the street to get away from, from danger and when to cross back. It's only intuition that does that. And that's why I trust it. Because I think that our intuition wants us to live. And the force that wants us to live and be safe is the force that I trust. And so that's why I'm I'm following the intuition. Not that I'm feel that I'm tapping into some you know uh, whatever. I, I mean I forget how people talk about it, but but yeah. So nobody nobody wants to talk about intuition. Nobody trusts it. I think as a generative force, um, you know, criticality. Uh, I think people have been told that criticality only happens through this sort of lo uh, logical tactics, you know, of thinking of yourself as a a rational actor making conscious decisions against the stranglehold of the state, you know, or, or, or whatever it is. 
I, I don't, uh, I don't agree. I mean, certainly that is an option, but I think that um, to just to be intuitive, to be free and intuitive presents a radical role model of just being free that I, I again, I, I support it. So uh, anyway, that's my, uh, there's more on that, of course, but uh, that's my short response that I give whenever people, again, this is usually when the greatest amount of negativity, you know, mm-hmm. the slings and arrows of my enemies come rushing toward me. <laughs> whistling toward me that's a great response just uh, t- uh, mentioned different talks you give so there is one coming up like we said in earlier on earlier um, when we started talking there's one coming up at laney right contemporary yes. gallery here in uh, savannah is yep. it june 11th june 11th and june probably 11th. it'll be i think i think they're usually like at four or five o'clock something like that you will talk about your work that is on display at laney uh, yes, but I'll, I'll, I'm happy to talk about anything. Uh, there is, uh, as I'm sure you remember, upstairs in the mirror room at Laney, and, and the the building that Laney's in, the gallery. It's a really interesting building. Like mm-hmm. the gallery spaces are super interesting and eccentric and and kind of fun to respond to. But in the mirror room, uh, I exhibited a a video that I've never shown before. That's right. I was going to talk to you about it. Thank you for bringing it up. And it's uh, I I like. When I when I first had the idea of the show, I had I wanted to put the video in the mirror room, mm-hmm. and it's uh, projected onto a floor screen, so you're kind of like looking down to see it, which I also like. I like it when videos uh, projected in in kind of an unusual way. But that 35 second video gives like all of the characters thus far in the in the project. Mm-hmm. Uh, right up until Merchant. And so uh, so since that video is on display, like uh, I guess I can talk about everything. <laughs> Anything, everything, all the pieces. And how long will your work will be displayed? Do you know, at Lane? Um, it will be uh, up until June twenty sixth, or until the angry mobs come and demand that it be taken down. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. So June eleventh, we said four or five o'clock. You'll be there. Uh, yes, and I, I apologize. I should have the correct. I should have had the correct information. But usually, uh, typically, they're they're late in the afternoon for people to like, get off work or, sure. or whatever end of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might start at it might start at five, but uh, anyway. But yes, it'll be June eleventh. I'm sure. Yeah, it will be easy to find that information even on uh, Laney's um, Laney Contemporary right. website. And so, where else can uh, our listeners um, see your work, find your work, learn more about you, connect with you via social media? I'm on Instagram, just as Craig Drennan, um, and I have a website that's just uh, craigdrennan.com. I also manage uh, a small exhibition project space uh, at my studio called The End Project Space. It also has an Instagram account. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm normally I'm normally there. I'm trying to think. There's uh, yeah some shows coming up in next year that I think haven't been announced publicly yet. So there's no information yet on those. But uh, Kunstverein uh, Langenhagen, where I had the show last fall, a group show, Depiction Again was really dynamite and uh, there's a lot of images up on the Kunstverein's uh, website but yeah no there's uh, there's there's things uh, circulating some especially from the past few years uh, you know I just my life is less complicated than many people's life so my pandemic was pretty peaceful you know I was just in the studio or at the apartment or you know well, that's interesting so th- that's something I very often ask our guests do you feel like it seems like you are not impacted so much as far as your creativity. 
or creating or where you impacted? Yeah, well, you know, I'm I'm sort of a, as as you might have guessed, I'm sort of a self-propelling vehicle in a way. Like so, I'm always sort of moving forward with the work. Uh, I mean, certainly, you know, it it was big changes, big changes from top to bottom, and just how we interact with people and uh, how we, you know, I, I felt very fortunate that I had a, a still had a full time job that I could do. Many times when I lived in New York and I was a freelancer, I mean, I kept thinking, like, if this happened, if there was a pandemic while I was a freelancer, like, I, I honestly don't know what I would have done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I would have to start robbing banks or something like that to, to make ends meet. <laughs> and then there would be another character. But I think already Bandit. You've yeah, there's that a Bandit. One. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Craig, once again, for this great conversation. See, I even learned selfishly. I've learned a lot about your work. So it's not just I talked uh, to you about your work and um, you know introduced you to our listeners, but I actually I got a lot out of it personally. Well, so I really wonderful. appreciate well, it. Me as well. And uh, yeah, great conversation. And thanks again. And uh, you know, it's nice to be introduced to all the Crazy Bird listeners. Oh, that's right. Oh, wait, before you go, the question I was supposed to ask you, remember? What's your favorite bird? It doesn't have to be too crazy. A favorite bird? I have liked birds a long time. I used to draw them when I was a kid because I lived out in the country and there were plenty of birds everywhere. But uh, probably my favorite one right now would be the crested tit. It's a fine little bird and it looks like a dumpling. Like it just looks like a dumpling that flies and they have a, a very nice sound. Like I, I just, I like how they look. I like how they sound. You know, it's uh, it's it's the same reason I pick the words that I pick in the paintings. Like I like I like how the word looks. I like how the word sounds, and it's the same rules for the crested tit. So maybe that crested tit will make to your painting. Maybe we'll oh, connect right. with one of the characters. No, okay. It's well, time. Have, yeah, it's time for the crazy bird to make That's its cool. way <laughs> once again. Thank you so much, Greg, and see you on June 11th at Laney Contemporary one, in Savannah. Great, I'll be there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Crazy Bird Podcast. The Crazy Bird Podcast is hosted by Violeta Kaminska. Our guest for this episode was Craig Drennan. You can find Craig's work online at craigdrennan.com and on Instagram at craigdrennan. Currently, Craig's work is exhibited till June 26th at Laney Contemporary Gallery in Savannah, Georgia. On Friday, April 16th, Laney Contemporary will host a reception with the artist from 4 till 9 p.m. Our theme music is inspired by Tambourine by French composer François-Joseph Gossec. The improvisation is performed by Agnieszka Kowalik. Nature sounds were recorded by Violeta Kaminska. This episode was edited and produced by Violeta Kaminska.